as we call them here with us, um, who you've already been introduced to this morning. Uh, they've just started, so they're a bit nervous because they don't really know what it's all about. They're just finding out. We've got various projects going on at Surrey, and you're going to hear about a couple of them today. One of them, of course, is... Well, not of course. Um, we have our PTY year, our professional training year, where most of the students, most undergraduates, do a year in industry. And uh, a few years ago... Some bright spark said, why couldn't they do a year in industry working in a university? Because that's an industry. Mm-hmm. And someone else said, well, would they want to? I don't know. So, <laughs> so, I don't know. Really. They might do. <laughs> so we put an advert out and we got applicants. So we had an intern in the department, which was, in modern parlance, a staff-student partnership. Um, and then following year we had another one. And then... The pro, pro, vice provost for education got wind of this and thought, that's a good idea. Would you like seven next year? <laughs> I said, well, if you're going to fund it, yeah, because these guys actually get paid as well. So we had seven. And this year we have six. And they're involved in a variety of projects. And this is part of their degree. This is a professional training year. Um, year so it gets credits for their degree. And they're with us for a year. They're doing a variety of projects. They're actually based in the Department of Technology and Arts Learning, but they work a lot with us as well in the Department of Higher Education. So they're going to just say now, although they've only just started, beginning of the year, um, about the projects that they're embarking on at the moment. There's a whole range. So who wants to kick off? You're going to go first. Um, currently, I'm working on decolonizing the curriculum of the library. I've sort of just researched um, other institutions similar to us, what they're doing, um, looking at what we are doing towards that topic, that specific topic, and just, yeah, just looking for a way forward in the next couple of weeks. Um, I'm working on a project where we review the curriculum, and then as interns, we're starting to bounce ideas off of each other on how we can redesign the curriculum, and then we're narrowing our ideas down to things that can actually apply to the University of Surrey. So, um, in our current work in HE, myself and my <coughs> colleagues have been involved in evaluating the, SSR, the SSRPP uh, project, which Ian will probably talk about more. And as part of that, we're um, scheduling interviews to interview staff on their experience of the collaboration project, how they thought it went, and then we're going to compare that with like the student experience and hopefully write, uh, write a paper on it as well. So big projects underway, and these guys are involved. Uh, they will be around all day, so please make use of them, because they're being paid to be here. Okay? So, you know, ask them what they're doing. Is it good? Would they recommend it at your place? All those sorts of plans. Okay? You know the answers, don't you? All right, you, you can keep going. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, Ian, what we're going to do now is going to talk about a couple of projects that we've got going on at the moment or have done recently at Surrey. 
Um, so Ian is going to talk about a larger scheme of partnership projects that we've recently coming to the end of um, that James alluded to, which we call the SSRPP, but more will be explained. Um, but I'm going to talk a little bit about a research project that myself, Ian and our other colleague who worked with us at Surrey, Naomi Winstone, have um, just completed. So, um, I th hopefully this research project will be a nice counterpart to what Jenny was talking about a minute ago. You might find it too idealistic in some ways, but let's talk about it. Um, so, the aims of the research was really, what we wanted to do was we wanted to explore um, student-staff partnerships as they're actually occurring in higher education. We had a few particular questions to break this, this larger um, goal down. We wanted to find out, similar to the, your idea, Jenny, about narratives, you know, how is co-creation or partnership really um, being conceptualised within our institution at the University of Surrey? We wanted particularly to um, examine how managerial expectations of partnership, how do they resonate with the initiatives that are currently occurring on the ground, and how does this all interweave with the literature and the narratives that we see in the literature. Um, and also we wanted to kind of think about, you know, to what extent um, do staff perceive partnerships as promoting, you know, pedagogic flexibility, pedagogic health, you know, ideas for really positive changes and developments in pedagogy, as opposed to just, you know, managerial lip service to the student voice agenda, you know, it, how do those kind of narratives relate? Um, and the, this, the outcome of this paper is um, uh, available in studies that you can um, access, so it's more than customers, conceptions of students as partners held by student staff and institutional leaders. Okay, so just to go back a little bit then, um, we started off with this definition about partnership, which we've taken from Cook, Sather, Bovell and Felton's work, and they define students as partners as a collaborative, reciprocal process through which all participants have the opportunity to contribute equally, although not necessarily in the same ways, to curricular or pedagogical conceptualisation, decision-making, implementation, investigation or analysis. So this is the definition, just to kind of hone in a little bit on what we were meaning by partnership. And we thought that this, this quote is quite key really. So Healy, Flint and Harrington have claimed in their seminal work in this area that engaging students and staff effectively as partners in learning and teaching is arguably one of the most important issues facing higher education in the 21st century. So this is a really big thing that's affecting all of us. So I think, you know, we, we quite rightfully want to know more about it. We were also struck particularly by the, um, dis the distinction between partnership or co-creation and earlier work or earlier narratives that revolve around the student voice. So really there's quite um, a difference, I think, between these two ideas. Partridge and Sandover argue that um, uh, research partnerships provide the opportunity to go beyond simply listening to the student voice. So we're not looking to listen to student voices or the one student voice anymore, thankfully. Um, we're looking to participate and co-create. Um, and Matthews, Cook, Sandover and Healy argue that it's uh, SAT or students as partners increasingly viewed as a means for students and staff to actually reshape really remould the university. Some of this is a bit idealistic, sorry, don't we? Um, so, um, and moving on towards this idea about neoliberalism. So, Kanzika, Housen and Weller have argued in 2016 that there's also a means here, an opportunity to move away from an economic-driven, neoliberal higher education landscape. So, this is something that's really 
you know, quite problematic, I think, within the HE environment at the moment. It's really how do we, do we uh, you know, um, move away and counter this rhetoric of the student as consumer. So we were very interested in all this, uh, this wonderful um, ideals. However, how in reality, how does the, these fabulous ideals that are um, discussed in the literature the theoretical arguments, how do they really, you know, match or, or jar with what's going on within institution, with institutional practices? So, um, White has argued that the policy initiative of students as partners springs from the marketisation of HE. It's not as innocent as it appears, and actually, we should view it at, with careful scepticism. So, ironically, instead of it being a counter to um, marketisation or neoliberal narratives, it, it, he argues that it springs from it. And we were particularly interested in this paper by Kelly Matthews and colleagues, um, who did a similar study, and they found that... Um, Concerningly, uh, the current leaders that they interviewed were influenced by the neoliberal forces shaping current higher education policies in their partnership work. Um, and actually, it was the, the partnership initiatives within that institutional context was being viewed, uh, I like this phrase, through a neoliberal filter. So, you know, far from idea, idealised um, initiatives, it was actually just another mechanism of neoliberalism or, or marketisation. So we wanted to find out how, how that might relate to what was going on in Su at Surrey. Okay. So in order to do that, um, we did some concept map mediated interviews, which I'll talk more about in a minute. And we had three groups of participants. We had the insti three institutional leaders within Surrey, um, the Vice Provost for Education, the Director of Quality Enhancement Standards, and then the Vice President of the University Students' <coughs> Union. We also uh, interviewed student participants who had been involved recently in, in partnership projects, and we also interviewed project leaders, so staff, staff leading those projects. Um, so I'll just talk a little bit about concept mapping, and I feel a bit nervous about doing this with Ian, the concept mapping expert um, here, but um, concept mapping, uh, there's a, a recommendation here for the reference for, for Ian and Camille's work. Um, one of the, the papers that uh, references concept mapping. But um, for those of you who haven't uh, had a go at this yet, um, it's quite a nice way of carrying out interviews with participants. So how it works is you, um, we asked our participants one question. So just opening it up with one question. And the question was, from your perspective, what um, makes a successful student-staff partnership? just open with one question and then what ensues is a conversation between the interviewer and the participant and during that discussion the key concepts that arise are recorded on post-it notes which we place together so it's a co-constructed interview process you place it together on a large piece of paper and then you have a um, discussion with the participant to identify the links between those concepts. How do they relate? Um, have I understood you correctly? Should this concept go here? Should this concept go there? And it's quite nice because you end up with a visual um, artifact in which to uh, frame the discussion um, and you can also uh, co-construct the outcome. So some of the maps from this study look, ended up looking like this. So after the, uh, the, the post-it notes were framed onto the piece of paper, we um, uh, 
draw them electronically using PowerPoint and then send them back to the participant who then agrees, makes any changes um, and uh, produces their map. Okay, so this was one of the maps and you can see some of the key concepts that came through this discussion that we had here. Um, or if you can't, I'll, I'll just read them so they're, they're clear of you at the back. But at the centre here was this idea uh, that came through that partnership is about enabling students to be more than customers, okay? So it's really an antidote to consumerism. There were other key themes that came up. Um, interestingly, what we found, and I'll talk more about the findings in a minute, but what we found is that the, the themes and the key concepts were remarkably similar, and we were quite surprised by this. Remarkably similar for the students' maps, the staff project team leaders' maps, and also the institutional leaders' maps. Um, there were themes of uh, communication being really key to partnership. Things like uh, shared ownership being very important. This theme is really nice. Authors of their own destiny, and this was something that, that you alluded to, um, Jenny, wasn't it, about the, the role of self-authorship um, within partnership. Um, relationships and community. So these kind of values-based uh, um, ideals underpinning partnership work were very, very evident in the, the maps. This is quite a complex map. Um, it was one of the institutional leaders, so you can see there's a lot going on here. In contrast, the student participants' maps were slightly similar, as you'd expect, owing to their, their levels of expertise with, um, in relation to university uh, narratives and so forth. But what was interesting was, again, the findings, the language, the narratives were very, very similar. So, again, we had things coming through, like uh, communication being really important, the development of relationships being, you know, really key to, to partnership work and key to the experience of university as a whole. So that relational pedagogy, that, that care that, that's underpinning our work being really important. I really like this concept that came out of this student's uh, map, where this particular participant identified that partnership work enables the breakdown of a staff bubble. So I think that's quite a nice, uh, a nice evocative phrase. Um, so overall then, our, our key findings were that the, there was uh, quite a similar, similarity in the, the interviews that we did across the different participants groups. And in contrast to the work of Matthews and colleagues um, in Australia, our institutional leaders were, were, uh, were very in sync with the more idealistic, perhaps, you know, values-based, positive um, uh, narratives that underpin partnership. There was lots of discussion about the opportunities, um, and of course, we all know that there are very many challenges and partnerships often don't work, but having a framing of the potential possibilities of partnership that, that's available, enabling students to be more than customers. Providing the space to develop a shared understanding and a shared ownership of experiences. And then things like uh, enabling the development of shared community and culture. There was discussions about the opportunity to, um, uh, to regenerate pedagogic practices, allowing more flexibility. There was uh, key themes of communication, dialogue, self-authorship. And something that was really interesting to me was um, that the students commented that student-staff partnerships are fun. Now, this was missing from the staff uh, narratives, which I thought was, was quite revealing, but they really emphasised that actually student-staff partnerships 
are um, enjoyable and the, um, the other one said fun. So that really came through, which I thought was quite nice. So um, overall then, our findings within this small research project suggested that there were many, many shared understandings across these different participants groups within this one context. And actually a lot of these shared understandings chimed with the literature and the narratives that we've seen that are out there, positive developmental and values-based. Um, so yeah, there's an idealistic uh, counterpoint here, perhaps to some of the, the challenging um, aspects that we've seen that were involved with this project. So thank you very much. I'm now going to hand over to Ian, who's going to talk about some of our other work. Okay, SSRPP. I don't know what your inst institutions are like, but at Surrey it's sort of acronym central, really. Uh, and as soon as an acronym is used, it is there forever. So the SSRPP is the Student Staff Research Partnership Program. Um, so SSRPP is much quicker to say. Um, I chair a, a teaching quality committee, and uh, part of that committee, we, we, we get a little pot of funding to spend on things that we think might be of interest to staff. So we did some teaching innovation grants where, where teachers said, yeah, I want to study this, can you give me a thousand pounds? And yeah, we can, okay. And I thought, it's not that exciting though, is it really? And uh, so the, the, the committee said, well, that, let's make it more exciting. Let's make it so that the academic has to team up with a student and they have to partnership through the whole project. So it's a student staff research project. So I said, okay. So how's it going to work? What's the minimum incentive that we can give to a student that would make them want to do this? So we thought cash was the best incentive. So what's the minimum amount of money that you can give to a student without it being insulting, but given that we haven't got any cash, how much can we give them? Uh, the magical figure, if you don't know, is £250. Okay, so we gave £250 to the students. There's a one-off thank you for participating. What's in it for the staff? Why should staff do this? Because we're busy. And research is important and we're busy. And more than anything else, we're busy. Okay, so how, how could we get an incentive for the staff? So I, I rashly said to the Vice Provost, okay, I'll, uh, I'll get a book contract and they can all write a chapter. And they all said, yeah, okay, that's right. I thought, oh God, now I've got to get a book chapter. So anyway, what we did, we put the call out we had enough money for 20 projects. That's five grand. Uh, I had no idea how many projects would come in. We put an open call out to all staff. We didn't put it out to the students because I thought, if, if we get 200 responses, I can't cope with that. Staff, if I get 10 responses, I'll be really happy. We got 20, which was really good. So we got 20 projects. Uh, and the idea was that each project would write... Uh, a book chapter co-authored staff and students. So the students were up for it because they get something on their CV and it's quite interesting. Staff were up for it. Most of the staff concerned, not all of them, but most of them are on teaching contracts, not research contracts. But on teaching contracts they have to demonstrate scholarship of teaching. And many of them are also putting together portfolios to be senior fellows of the HEAs, the UK studies and all that sort of stuff. So this seemed to tick a lot of boxes for all sorts of people. Uh, so we had the book. We got the book contract from Palgrave and Millen. I was slightly surprised in a way 
because whilst it's interesting to us and staff-student partnerships is obviously an interesting thing, when you look at the book, that is the only theme in the book because we've got chapters on 3D printing and engineering education. We've got chapters on using Panopto in economics. We've got chapters which are dialogues between uh, a member of the acting school and one of his students. So they're very diverse in what they're actually looking at, but they're all staff-student projects. Interestingly, some of the staff said, can I bring a friend? So I don't think I can do it on my own. So the engineering ones have got three or four members of staff and a student. Because to balance it up, you see, because the students are scary, obviously. Um, so we've got the book contract. It's now gone, hasn't it, to the publishers. You're, you're, you're thankful for that. Uh, last week, this week, it's gone to the publishers. So it should be out in time for Christmas, available in all good bookshops, Amazon. Uh, good stocking filler. <laughs> Um, quite a heavy stocking filler. So there are 18, 18 of the projects eventually decided they would go for a book chapter out of the 20. Two of them decided they wanted to write journal articles, so they went their own way. So we've got 18 chapters in the middle which are uh, student-staff partnership projects and then we've topped and tailed it with a literature review and a commentary and things like that. So there's 22 chapters in all. Um, we followed that up the second year. We thought, let's do it again. See if Palgrave will go for it again. And they did. So there's a second cohort. We've changed it slightly so it's focusing on excellence in teaching because nobody knows what that is and we thought that would be a good thing to write a book about. Um, and then this coming year, we're sort of dying on our feet really. So I've restricted it to four projects, one per faculty, but they can have up to five students per project. And that's one of the problems with managing this is who manages it? Us in our spare time. Uh, who edits the books? Us in our spare time. Who mentors the academics who are scared of writing a book chapter and have never used focus groups? Us in our spare time. Okay, So that's one of the downsides of this is capacity. How do we, how do we actually do this? So anyway, the book is coming out. We've done the work. Um, it's now being evaluated. That's one of the things our interns are now doing. They're evaluating the project, so it's a staff-student partnership evaluation of a staff-student partnership project. So it's sort of staff-student squared, really. And reviewing the book, or going through the book, writing the chapter at the end, I've obviously gone into the literature to see what other people have said that I might nick and ideas that I might use. And if you want to quote, you always go to Dewey first, because whatever your problem, Dewey seems to have the answer. And I love this top quote. I'll give you a second just to read it. So are we all swimming schools? Do we just tell them what to do and don't show them what to do? Because most of the, well, all the universities I've worked in and many of the universities out there on the websites, they all say, yeah, we're a research-led institution. We have research-led teaching, blah, 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 blah. Nobody really knows what that means either. Um, so, you know, how do we get these students to understand what research is? They don't know that research is messy because when you re read research in studies in higher education, it's all very neat and tidy. And the answers are always positive. But we know that in research, actually, that doesn't really happen, does it? Results go all over the place. And suddenly you change your, your research project to fit the circumstances that you're in. So I think getting students involved in research, doing research, gives them a better understanding of what goes on, what a PhD might look like. 
you know, you don't just go in and say, this is my question, I'll get the answer and I'll write it up, because that doesn't happen like that, does it? I also like the quote from Deleuze below. We don't learn anything from those who say, do as I do, but do with me. So again, maybe that's idealistic, I don't know. I'm mostly pragmatic rather than idealistic, if you haven't got that yet. Um, but anyway, you know, if we are going to get these students to be independent, self-regulated thinkers, critical thinkers, all these sorts of things, and we're preparing them for PhDs, according to some of our, co our colleagues as well, well, how does the first degree, sitting in front of PowerPoint slides for nine hours a day, prepare you to do a PhD? It doesn't really. Okay, so you can get your first class honours, great. But how does that propose to, to think about problems in a research sense? I love this from West, from 1966. So a brilliant title, The Case Against Teaching. As I'm an academic developer, that's quite an interesting thing thing to throw out to people but do we show the students how we learn because presumably we were expert students because we've all got PhDs and master's degrees and all those sorts of things so we must have been pretty good at it but do we show them how to learn or do we just let them watch us teach which is something slightly different This is, I think, how some of the students view <coughs> us. We survey them to death. We do module evalu evaluation questionnaires. We do NSS. And we know that this year, just like last year, they're not happy with feedback. So what was the point? All that time and money. So they're saying, you know, you come in, you ask us questions, you do a survey, you disappear, um, and then it's exactly the same next year. But if you work with people, I think you've got a different outlook. It's not seeing students as data points. It's seeing students as partners, seeing students as human beings, as complete human beings. Again, I've got colleagues who think that um, students are only partial human beings. They're not completed yet because they haven't got their BSc. Once they have their BSc, then they'll be complete people. We can stamp them, sorry approved, and push them out the door. Whereas, of course, our students, you are complete people, aren't you? Yes, Ian. Okay. So the idea of institutional culture. Is, does your institution have the right culture to instigate student-staff partnerships? We decided that we didn't have time to wait for the institution to have the right culture for student-staff partnerships because we would never start it. So we decided that actually student-staff partnerships were one of the mechanisms by which we could change the culture. Okay, for better or for worse. I don't know if that's the right answer, the wrong answer, or just an answer. Um, we just dived in, basically. We had to dive in because if I didn't spend the money, it would have disappeared in July, and we couldn't have started at all. So we had to make decisions about what to do. We had to make decisions that 
yeah, we're going to have one student, one member of staff project. It had to be finished by the second semester, the actual data collection and writing up the project. The problem with that, of course, is that then that goes on because once we've got these projects written up and given to us, we've then got to edit them, refine them, send them to a publisher, faff around with proofs. So it's going to be six months after many of these students have long since disappeared. So the research cycle is not in tune with the student cycle. So student staff research is problematic from that point of view. So many of the students who were involved in this project have now gone. Some of them have just moved up a year, so they're still with us, depending on which year they were in when they started with us. And we had first years, second years, third years, a master's students. We had all sorts, and from all disciplines as well. But the institutional culture is an interesting one. You know, do you wait for the institutional culture to be right? There are certainly some departments or schools on our campus where I think the institu institutional culture was absolutely right for it. They're just sort of waiting for it to happen. There are others where I have to go to the door with a battering ram to get in, you know. I want to talk about students. Go away. We're researchers. One of the problems we have is that we did have some um, hard scientists actually agree to do this. And not just youngsters either, but some crusty old grey-haired people like me who've been around for donkey's years said, yeah, I'll have a go. Why not? Okay, they took up quite a lot of our time, of course. <laughs> um, and interestingly, members of staff fell out with each other. They never fell out with a student, I don't think, but we did have staff teams falling out with each other, saying, I think we should do this. No, we shouldn't. Oh, walking off in a huff, all that sort of stuff. Um, but, you know, having physical scientists saying, yeah, okay, I've talked to the student and we've decided we're going to do a focus group. What is that, in? How do I do it? And then, how do I write it up? Because there's no stats involved, I understand. <laughs> no, there's no stats involved. So if there's no stats involved, how do I know it's statistically significant? <laughs> well, it won't be. Oh, so is it rubbish then? No. <laughs> um... As, a, as one colleague said to me a few years ago about a book, he said, the only data in this book is the page numbers. <laughs> I said, no. Okay. So physical scientists have their own world. And we had these guys who were brave enough to step out of that world. Okay? There wasn't going to be tables and graphs and charts and things, and they could just say, and the conclusion is. Okay? You had to interpret it. You had to work with the student. You had to have dialogues, all these sorts of things. And these guys worked with it. And they found it really, really challenging. And Roger Nebone from Imperial talks about this, you know, moving from one paradigm to another is difficult. So if you want guys from the sciences particularly to write a chapter in an education book, some of them find that a bit of a challenge. Some guys from the humanities also find that a bit of a challenge, and some guys from the social sciences also find that a bit of a challenge. Um, as I say, many of our colleagues who are involved in this are, are teaching fellows. They've never written anything scholarly before in their lives since their first degrees. Um, so they really found it scary. So we had to provide workshops on how to run a focus group, workshops on how to write a chapter, workshops on all sorts of things. The students weren't that worried about them. The staff were quite worried. Some of them 
who didn't participate said, well, I wouldn't want to do that. That's a bit of a challenge to my expertise, isn't it? After all, I know the stuff, not them. Again, you know, how do I know what I'm writing is any good? Because, um, you know, if, if we say that authors should be innovative, but abide by the normative boundaries of correctness, yeah, but if I'm a physicist, how do I know what your normative boundaries of correctness are? What the hell does that mean? Okay, uh, because it is a different world. So we really had to talk a lot to the members of staff, probably more than the students, I would say, in getting this actually moving. Maybe that's because of our insistence at the beginning that this was going to be a book and it was going to be a solid output. But that's part, again, of the sort of internal politics of the place. That, that was one of the reasons that we were given the money. Yes, it's a, let's go ahead, let's do it. It's a solid output, potentially referable for some people. Who knows? Really good TEF narrative material. So we had that sort of recolonization by the neoliberalists, you know, saying, oh, yeah, we could tick a box with this, couldn't we? That would be good. That's not really why we were doing it, but anyway. So this challenge to expertise. Um, so that this, if you don't know, Anne Edwards' work on um, distributed expertise, this is quite good as well, saying, no, your expertise is not being challenged or, by di or diluted. It's being enhanced because these youngsters know things you don't. After all, they are expert students. They are professional students. Are you professional if you pay for something? No, that's not that. Um, but they're good at what they do. You know, they know all sorts of things. And they will ask really awkward questions. I've got a colleague who always says when he's doing some, some high-level research, the first thing he does is ask the students, because they ask the most basic, awkward questions. And they're the ones that are difficult to answer. So this is a sort of a challenge to, to pedagogy, really. And this author, chapter 21, this could be a member of staff or it could be a student. If you buy the book, you'll find out which. I'll tell you in a minute if you like. Um, but unlearning old habits, moving away from perfectionism, having to hide my perceived failures. Many students don't like handing in drafts because they might be wrong. I'll, hand it, yeah, I'll let you see it when it's right. I think, well, that's not much good, is it, for a formative assessment? You know, I need to see it when it's wrong. So I can give you stuff. Um, but also staff, you know, I'm, I'm not a perfect teacher, but I don't want them to know that. I might not know everything, but I don't necessarily want students to know that. Um, saying it's all right not to know everything. Nobody knows everything, you know. And also you are moving into a field which is new to you. We deliberately didn't want them doing projects on particle physics where the prof would obviously be the expert and just say, you know, press that button, what, tell me when it goes red or something, because that would have been boring. Deliberately, we were saying to them, you know, investigate something that's of interest to you in your teaching, but to which you do not know the answer, to which there may not be an answer. But investigate it, see what happens. And they all went off, they came up with different things, and they all came up, each project came up with something valuable to that department. And I think that's me done. So we're available now to be interrogated if you want to. <laughs>